Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Tonight we will have three songs, and Jackson uh, has our reading and prayer. You can't come home for more than a week and expect to not have to do something. So Jackson has a reading and prayer, one more song, and then Nathan has our lesson this evening. Our first song tonight is number 531. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. 531, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, he has next song is on the overhead only. It's Cornerstone. Cornerstone. I forgot to have my app open. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and
our next song is number 684. 684, This World Is Not My Home. After this, Jackson will have our reading and prayer. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing bridge, my friends are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't be let home in this world anymore, oh Lord, you know, I have no friend like you, if heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? you pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, and thank you for allowing us all to come together a second time to praise you, Lord. Please help this worship to be perfect in your eyes, and help Nathan to deliver us a word that is according to your word, Lord. Uh, please be with us tonight and throughout the week to live in a way that you would expect us to, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our reading this evening will be coming from Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our song of invitation this evening will be on the overhead only. It's what the Lord has done in me. If you would now, let's stand and we'll sing number 647, The Love of God. 647. <coughs> Since the love of God and Jesus Christ is blessing on my head, I am a
That is, who are you? I'm not asking what your name is, but I'm asking, how would you describe yourself? What defines you as a person? Have you ever stopped to think, if I had to describe with a few words who I was, what words would you use? Sometimes it can be a difficult thought. How do you describe yourself? How do you define who you are? What makes you, you? Let's take me for example, that handsome guy right there. How would I describe Nathan? Well, I'm a son, I'm a husband, a father, I'm an engineer, I'm a soldier, Sorry, Amber must have tweaked that PowerPoint there. <laughs> but, but all of these things, all of these words, these adjectives, are, are what I would say describes who I am. At my core, who I am. And so I want you to think tonight, what words, how would you define who you are as a person? And while you're sitting there thinking about that, the next thought I want you to think about is the idea of be all you can be. Some of you might recognize that phrase. Who recognizes that phrase before I get in, into it? Some of you do. You're, at, you're dating yourselves, the ones raising your hands. From 1980 to 2001, the U.S. Army recruitment slogan was, be all that you can be. It's perhaps the most one of the most famous recruitment slogans apart from Uncle Sam, I want you to join the Army. All the commercials were the same. You would have this soldier or this civilian who was, by its own right, you know, having a good life, doing the right thing, being a successful person. But the point of the commercials was the recruitment, the recruitment um, at the recruitment part of it was, you know, you could always be better. You could be the best version of yourself, and you just happen to be able to do that by joining the army. So that was the. That was the recruitment uh, sales pitch, being all you can be. So tonight I want to look at those two thoughts. How do you define yourself and be all you can be? 
And I want to look at that, and I want to challenge each and every one of us to look and be critical of our own selves, and are, are we being all we can be, all that we can be? Are we defining ourselves correctly, and are we being able to be the best versions of ourselves? Come on. I just said that. We're going to look at two examples tonight of what uh, be all you can be is all about. The first one, if you want to turn to, is Exodus chapter 2. This is a story uh, that everybody's familiar with. I could get Sam and Luke up here, and they could probably tell you the story of Moses. What do we know about Moses in Exodus chapter 2? We know he's born to Israelite parents at the time when Israel was in slavery uh, to Egypt. We know that at the time that Moses was born, the Pharaoh had decided that all uh, of the youngins must be killed because Israel was getting too numerous, but his parents spared him from that fate. We know that eventually he was, he was put in a basket and he was sitting down the Nile River and who, who happened to find him? None other than Pharaoh's daughter who takes Moses to be her own son. In fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, it says the following about what Moses was all about. Acts 7, starting in verse 20, it says, At the time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughters took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was well educated in all the wisdoms of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. And it goes on in the next verse to say when he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his people, the Israelites. So when we're looking at Moses for the first 40 years of his life, how could we define what Moses was all about? He lived a good life. He was, he was the grandson of the Pharaoh. He was, he was brought up in all the wisdom and all of the royalty of the Egyptian uh, Pharaohs. He had the good life. You know, you could sit there and say, well, what defined Moses in those first 40 years? You could say that he was rich. Like I said, he lived in the palace as Pharaoh's daughter's son. He was the grandson to a Pharaoh. He was powerful. Being that kind of royalty and that royal family certainly brought power. He was awfully privileged. You know, he, his people were the ones enslaved, building the pyramids, doing all of the things by hard manual labor while he was sitting back in the, in the palace, learning, becoming wise, enjoying the good life. Well educated, it says, in all the wisdoms of, of the Egyptian empire. But we know that's not where the story ends for Moses. When we say, what defines you, is, is, is Moses being all that he can be? You know, on paper, that's, that's a pretty good list of things. There's a lot of people in, the world, in this world that would say that those, those things, those four little things, uh, attributes is that's the standard you want to be rich you want to be powerful you want to be well educated you want to be privileged that's what you're striving to be that is in the world's mind the best version of you that you can be but we know that Moses' story doesn't end here we know that eventually he has to flee to Midian he, 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 he kills an Egyptian who was mistreating one of his Israelite Brethren, 
he flees to, to Midian and lives in exile for over 40 years. But even in exile for the next 40 years of his life, he's not even considered an Israelite. Chapter 2, verse 19 says the following. This is when he, he ends up meeting what will be uh, his wife. They're having problems. The shepherds are bothering them. They're trying to feed their uh, water their uh, flocks. And verse 19, it says, uh, an Egyptian had rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and entered the flock. So Moses, who flees the, the good life in it, Egypt, goes and lives in, in the wilderness, goes and lives in Midian, and he's not even considered an Israelite there. They consider him an Egyptian. He's a man without, you know, without a home. We know that he spends a long time living this life in exile. Forty years, the Bible will tell us. And by that time, he grows up. He has a... He's not growing. He's already 40. But he, he, he has a wife. He has a ch child. He becomes a, a shepherd. He's totally changed his life. All those things that we define Moses as being, he's now not them anymore. He doesn't know what his uh, mission in life is. We also know that during those... That, that 40 year period in exile that there is a new pharaoh his would be adopted grandfather dies a new pharaoh becomes king um, I'm not an Egyptologist it might be his adoptive uncle it might be his, his, his adopted brother I'll let Chris do, all, do that deep dive but there is a new pharaoh and Moses is sure, soon going to have to go back and introduce himself we skip forward to Exodus chapter 3. We're still thinking about what defines Moses. What is he being the best version that he can be? He's left his life of royalty and he's living in exile. But eventually we see that he is called to do something else. Called to be something better than what he is being currently. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Again, another story that the children could probably tell us. This is when Moses encounters the presence of God in the burning bush. And here it is told what Moses must do. Starting at verse 9 of Exodus chapter 3. This is now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to the Pharaoh to be my people to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring Israelites out of Egypt? Moses asked the question, Who am I? Who, why, what makes me special? What makes me important enough to go do this job? I found, I found it interesting when I was doing this, doing this study that one of the reasons he, he gives for, oh, I can't do this, is that he's not a good speaker. Y'all remember that part? He says, I'm not a very good speaker. And he even says, hey, I'll send Aaron and help you. But what did, Acts, what did the, the writer of Acts tell us? That he was powerful in speech and action. He had the ability, but he, that wasn't what defined him. But we see now that Moses, via this transformation, this call to action to change his life and to be a messenger of God, he had a new purpose. So from that point forward, how would we describe Moses? Certainly it's not the same powerful, you know, 
privileged person. His, his mission now is to go be a servant. His mission now is to go back to this Pharaoh who is some kind of relation to him and lead this nation out of captivity. He was going to be a servant. He was going to be a messenger. He was going to be a leader of, of the nation, although not perfect. We see in the Bible where he, there was times where he struggled and he did things that were not right. We know that he was called upon to be this leader, this servant, this messenger. And I find it interesting that when we talk about when we, a, a changed life and being all you can be, this idea of what the world would say is, the, is being the best you can be versus what God would say what being the best version of you can be, we can see is quite different. Being, going from privileged and well-off and educated to being a servant and a messenger. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says the following about Moses and his life. Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 to 12 says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to the Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. The Bible records Moses as doing all of these great things. And yet we see that when we look at what defined him later in life when he finally turned and followed God and did follow the life that God would have him to be, those definitions of what a good life was didn't jive with what the world did. So that's one takeaway I want to leave with you tonight, that just because the world has a standard of what success is or what you ought to be trying to strive for, that doesn't necessarily jive with what God would want you to be. And when we're thinking about what defines you and what being the best version of yourself, being all that you can be is all about, we have to keep in mind that it's what God would have us to be. And then we follow God's path when we do what God would have us to do, that we truly can be the best that we're meant to be. The next person I'm going to look at tonight as an example of someone who, who had a pretty well-off life, yet we see that he was changed and he became the best version of himself would be Paul. We know when we first meet Paul, his actually his name is Saul. I'm just going to keep, keep saying Paul, that way we don't, I don't confuse myself. But we know that Paul, in, in several verses throughout the scriptures, pretty much defines himself for us. When we say, well, what would define Paul? What was Paul's life like? Let's look, let's look at some pretty plain examples. Turn with me to Acts chapter 22. Starting in verse 2, it says, When Paul, when they heard him speaking in Aramaic, they became quiet. And then Paul said, I am a Jew, born of Tarsus, born in Tarsus of Sicily, and brought up in this city. I have studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the laws of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are who are today. Here we see that he studied under Gamaliel, a very prominent Pharisee, a very prominent person in uh, Jewish culture at the time, very influential. He was sent to study 
at his feet to learn. He was very zealous. He calls himself very zealous for God. Later on in that same chapter, we learn another tidbit about what defined Paul. Jumping down to verse 27, it's, he says to the commander, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he answered, Yes, I am. Then the, Roman, then the Roman commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. So here, he lets us know that he was a born Roman citizen. Well, what's that matter? Well, in the time of Paul, Rome war, ru, ruled the world. So being a Roman citizen was a sign of status. There was a lot of privilege that came with that. And not only was he a citizen by paying a large sum of money and getting some of those privileges, but not all of them. He was born a Roman citizen, which he was given the full measure of protection under the law that nobody else would. In fact, in that story we're talking about, he's about to be punished, and he brings up the point that you can't do this to me because I'm a citizen, which stops the punishment immediately. So there was a certain level of stature and um, status and privilege that came with being a Roman citizen. Well, how else, other than he was being well-educated by a very high-up Jewish teacher and that he was a Roman citizen, what else defined what Paul was about back in those days? Turn with me to Philippians. Again, Paul, I, I very much enjoy that Paul pretty much spelled out for us exactly what he was uh, at the time, you know, before he became a Christian. Exactly what defined who he was. Philippians 3, starting in... Uh, Verse 4 and reading 4 through 7, it says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. Here, he tells us that, you know, I'm not just a Jew. I'm not, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. That, that, requi- that in itself came with a certain level of statue. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was a teacher of the law. I was an educated one. I was the one that regular Jews looked up to for teaching and for understanding of what God wanted for us. He says, as far as the righteousness is concerned, as far as the law was concerned, he was faultless. He was doing everything that a good Jew would do. And yet we know that how the story ends up. But when we're describing what Paul is like that in that moment before Christ, how would we describe Paul? He was very influential. He was, he was a Pharisee. We know from the time of Jesus' life, what the Pharisees, uh, they demanded a certain level of respect, respect and authority because of who they were. They, that, that was a status symbol. We know he was very privileged. He was a Roman citizen. So at the time of his life, he was in the top echelon of all in the Roman Empire. That would also made him very elite. And he had been well educated in Jewish law. Again, those looking at those descriptive words, that is a list of stuff that the world today would say, you need to be this. You are, you have, are not being the best version of yourself until you are 
influential and privileged and elite and so on and so forth. These are what you should be striving to be. This is what you should be trying to be. But we know that Paul's life didn't remain this way. In fact, Paul and his conversion is well documented. And it's something that I want to take a look at. So turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Both of these examples are examples of people who had what the world would consider to be, you know, the good life, quote unquote. But yet we see that after transformation, after turning to God, that their life changed and the things that used to define them no longer did. But there was a new set of, of what, there was a new things for what defined them. And obviously, these things were more aligned with being the best version of themselves. Acts chapter 9, rites of Paul's conversions, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 6. This is, meanwhile, Saul, this is the Paul we're talking about, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that he could, if he found anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul replied. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now go and get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Paul here was on a mission, he was on a journey. He was on a mission to Damascus, doing what he thought was the right thing to do. As a devout Jew, he saw it as his mission to, to get rid of this, the, the way, get, to get rid of this idea of Christianity that was causing trouble for the, for the Jewish people. And he was, it was his pers- personal mission to defend God the way he thought it needed to be done doing what he thought was best. We see later on in that chapter, in verse 15, when Ananias was told by God or by Jesus to go to to Paul to help restore his eyesight so he could become a changed man, Ananias said, you know, said, I've heard many reports about this guy, all the harm he's doing to your people, or, you know, Basically, are you sure about this? Like he's, he's almost questioning Jesus. Are you, you've heard the stories. Are you sure this is what I need to do? And Jesus says to Ananias in chapter, uh, or excuse me, verse five, 15, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul's life was transformed on that day on the road to Damascus. He was temporarily blinded. But more importantly, he realized that the life that he was living, which he thought was doing what was best, what was right for God, that he was all wrong. And that that Jesus whom he was persecuting to try to to eliminate was actually the one that he needed to be worshiping all along. He was going to be a chosen Instrument. Some Bert translations, a chosen vessel. He was going to be a messenger, specially picked by Jesus for a special mission to go to the to the Gentiles, to to not go to Jerusalem like like Peter and the rest of them were, 
were, who were preaching to the Jews, whether Paul was going to go to a broader, spread the message to a broad, uh, across the world, basically. He was going to go, and he was going to do this special mission. It was, his, it was his duty. But it came at a cost. In fact, Jesus says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Paul's good enough to even write down the suffering that he, he had to endure for Christ. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you ever think to yourself, man, I'm having it rough, you know, things aren't working out well, just listen to what Paul, in his own words, went through. Starting the second half of verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are you Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Here again, he's going on like, look, I'm, I'm the same thing that you, these people were. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind for talking like this. I am more. I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Verse 24, five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from the rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the cities, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. And besides everything else, I face daily pressures for my concerns for all of the churches. Here Paul is describing, look, this, this mission that I have been chosen to do has come at a great physical cost. There's been a lot of things I've he lists all the bad things that he's had to experience and had to go through. And this transform, transformation of his life from being this well-to-do elite status Jew to being this chosen vessel for Christ. This transformation that he experienced in his life came at a great cost. But I love that even though he lists all the terrible things that happened in his life, all the bad things that he had to endure, we know, again, from his own writing that he had learned to be content. Philippians chapter 4. Turn with me there real quickly. We're almost, almost done, I promise. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have known what it is to be in need. I know... I have known what it is to be plenty. Again, here, we're talking about his life. He has been, he has lived a life of plenty and of, of great, you know, physical success and, and happiness. But he's also known great need and great tragedy. All the times he was flogged and beaten and, and, and mistreated. But he says he's learned to be content. That's a lesson we all need to learn, right? Because we can do a whole other lesson series on what it means to be content 
in our life. And Paul says he's learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We know that Paul's life was obviously transformed. In describing Paul now, if we had to say, how would you define yourself, Paul? Again, in his own writing, he calls himself a servant of God. He calls himself a messenger for Christ. He calls himself a prisoner for Jesus. He doesn't hold on to the past. He doesn't look at his former life where he had all of this status and, and all of the good things. Because his life has now changed. He's living a life for Christ. He's been transformed. And by doing so, he's... He's being the best he can be by, by being a servant, by being a prisoner, a messenger, doing what God, would, what Jesus would have him do in his life. And Paul re- reminds us that it's all going to be worth it. He, he writes, you know, one of the last things he writes is talk, he talks about how at the end of this, he's fought the good fight, he's finished the race, he's being poured out, his life is about to be over, he knows it. But he's done, he knows he's done what everything, whatever he needed to do and that there was a crown of righteousness waiting for him. Tonight I want to I close with the idea of being all you can be. I want you to look at deep inside yourselves and I want you to think, are you being the best you can be? And that requires you to first answer the question, who are you? How would you describe yourself? And are you doing the best version of that. You know, we talked about Moses and Paul. They both they, they had it made. By the world standards, they had everything that the world would say you need to acquire. Royalty, elite status, rich, educated, influential. The list goes on and on. On paper, their lives look great. But obviously, they both needed to change, to be transformed, to be all that they could be. The scripture reading for this, that was read for us this evening comes from Romans chapter 12. It's the verse I want to leave you with. It says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God has a will for each and every one of us. Tonight I want you to think about what that will is. And I want you to think, are you being the best version of yourself? Those things I described about myself, a a father, a a husband, you know, my, my occupation, all those things. Am I being the best version of those? And if and if I'm doing those things without God, I'm not being the best version of myself. We each and every one of us need to put God first, and we need to be not conform to this world. We don't need to strive for what the world says is good. Whether we need to be transformed, have a renewed mind, and focus on what God's will for us is, and it's only then can we be that we can be the best versions of ourselves. So consider your life tonight. Your life might look great on paper, but are you 
Are you, have you been transformed? Are you being the best version you can be? Tonight, if you've not been, become a Christian, if, you, if you've not been buried with Jesus in the watery grave of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, then I can tell you right now with confidence you're not being the best version of yourself. It's only by accepting Jesus' gift of salvation and starting that life with living with him, living for his will and not your own, that you start being the best version of yourself. If you've never done that, tonight's the perfect opportunity to be transformed. We talk about change and, and being better. This is the end of the year. Pretty soon everybody's going to be talking about New Year's resolutions and goals and how to be better versions of yourself in the coming year. There's no better way to start being the best version of yourself than becoming a Christian right now. If you've already become a Christian, but tonight you're struggling with one way or the other, the, the world's got you down, you're having struggles, you're difficult, you're, you're looking for what would be the best versions of yourself and how do I achieve that. If you're struggling with whichever way, whatever need you might have, please come tonight as together we stand and as we sing. Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Um, as a reminder that uh, tonight's spare time, uh, it's from 8 to 11. Everybody's welcome to come to this, uh, so it should be a lot of fun. Also, we're still doing the toy drive. If you have any unopened new toys, uh, please put them in the red box out in the foyer. Um, 
there was something else on the list uh, that's not on here. Oh, if, uh, if you don't have a place to go during, um, during the holidays to eat after Sunday uh, services, there will be a meal prepared for that. If you have any uh, questions, concerns, please see Connie and Jeremy. Um, also, my daughter's pointing at herself uh, for me not to forget because I'll get in trouble uh, from Katie. But uh, she's wanting me to remind everybody she's going to Ecuador and she's looking for funds for her mission trip. Uh, she's going to take, uh, going to the orphanage, uh, take care of like four, 30 or 40 kids or something like that. So uh, kind of a neat thing. Um, so if you'd like to donate uh, money to that, please see her. Also, remember to continue to keep Clint Galloway in our prayers and Terry Leap, that's Gary's brother. Keep Steve Rowe in your prayers. Keep uh, Jennifer Baker and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they continue with their cancer. And remember to continue to keep the Jones family and the Breaker family and the Stevens family of past, uh, passing loved ones during the holidays. And remember all those who are traveling this holidays as well, um, that they get to their destination safely. That's all the announcements I have. Uh, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Oh, sign the sheet on the on the four board so we know how many people prepare for it. Our last song this evening is number eight forty one. Sing and be happy. Eight forty one. After this, Ben will have our closing prayer. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful evening, Lord, to come and be able to worship. Thank you for Nathan, Lord, and giving the lesson this evening, Lord. <clears throat> Let us all be the best we can be in your eyes, Lord, and go out into this week and be able to share what we learned tonight. 
Lord, thank you most of all for sending your son to die on the cross, and it's in his name we pray, amen.